one of my mother's clients who is a, uh, to be the CEO of a very large organization, 20 some billion dollar organization. I said, but I do have one question for you. What do I got to do to be in your shoes when I get older? What's the one thing I got to do? And he looks at me and he says, hmm, Renee, you learn how to sell. If you learn how to sell, you'll always be employed. And that phrase, that piece of advice, even though at 18, I had no idea what that meant, would change my life forever. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors. Infuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the Amplify Podcast with Renee Rodriguez. You know, it's crazy. Some of the most difficult times in our life actually lead to probably some of the best moments. And I had always devoted my entire life to basketball. And I was dead set on being a professional basketball player. In fact, I'll never forget, I think it was sixth grade. And we had a high school counselor come in and he's asking everybody what they wanted to do. And everyone's like doctor, lawyer, you know, fireman, whatever it was. And somebody asked me and I said, I want to be the NBA, professional basketball player. And I'll never forget the counselor screaming at me saying, you're a dreamer, kid. And just stopped and the whole place stopped. I'm sixth grade. Set aside from the fact that he's absolutely right. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And it was interesting. And I think I wrestled with that over the years of saying, you know, was he in the right or the wrong for saying that? Either way, I'll never forget it, but it didn't stop me. I was a dreamer and I wanted to keep going. And I, man, I put everything I had into it. I was a bigger kid I wasn't in shape. I didn't have speed. I didn't have any of the things, but I just kept practicing and I kept going. And I loved the sport. I loved every aspect of it. And every year, barely made the team. Every year, never got playing time. And between my seventh and eighth grade, probably eighth grade and ninth grade, I grew like three or three inches. Maybe it's like four inches. And I kept playing and now I leaned out. I was faster. I knew the game. I had a sense of grit that developed inside of me because of so many years of being told I couldn't do it, but just kept doing it anyways and working hard. And I made the team freshman year. A lot of the kids who were on the sophomore, excuse me, the eighth grade team didn't make it, which I thought was fascinating. And so here I was, I never gave up, never lost my dream. Went through high school. We won a state championship and still, but didn't get along with my coaches. And not sure why, lots of reasons could be whatever, and didn't didn't play. But every year I was like, nope, next year's my year. Next year's my year. It didn't matter how many times I fell. But between college and my freshman year, so high, last senior year in high school and college, I had hurt my Achilles. Didn't tear, but something in my ankle was bad, and I had to sit out my freshman year. But I remember still being somewhat okay to kind of play, but I knew it wasn't 100%. And the coach said, Renee, I still want you to play. And it was like one of those things that kind of came was like, wow, I'm going to finally get what's due to me here. And I said, coach, no, I want to give you four good years. I'm going to sit out and I'll manage the team my freshman year. And I did. And then came next year. I'm like, here we go. This is game on. And that coach that asked me to play retired. New coach comes in, 
no big deal. He was the assistant coach last year. I'm running practices and do this drill, Renee, do that drill. Everything's coming together. You know, kids are getting cut every week. No big deal. I'm acting as captain. He's talking to me as if I'm captain. And last cuts come in and I look and there's my name. It says, Renee, come see me. It doesn't say my name. It says, come see me. I was like, okay, well, it must've been like a health issue or something. Long story short, he cuts me from the team and says, I want you to manage it again. I'll save you the suspense in terms of the, the details to why, but I told him, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to manage a team. I know I can play for. I walked out and this was after all of the years that I devoted to this thing, knowing that this was, there's no more. This was it. There wasn't any next year anymore. It was over. All the whole team actually followed me out to my car. We sat out there for a couple hours and just talked. They were surprised and shocked. And I couldn't understand it. All I knew was basketball. I hated school. And all I knew was how to work hard. I wasn't real smart in the school sense, I guess. I finally got a chance a couple weeks later. One of my mother's clients, who was a you know, to be the CEO of a very large organization, 20 some billion dollar organization. And he said, How's basketball? And I said, It's over. It's done. And he said, what happened? I said, you know what? I, I don't even want to talk about it. I said, but I do have one question for you. What do I got to do to be in your shoes when I get older? What's the one thing I got to do? And he looks at me and he says, hmm, Renee, you learn how to sell. If you learn how to sell, you'll always be employed. And that phrase, that piece of advice, even though at 18, I had no idea what that meant, would change my life forever. Two weeks later, I get a uh, letter in the mail saying I've been selected because of my GPA to join this fast-paced sales and marketing group. And because, uh, and, and I'm like, think, okay, my GPA is like a 2.7, so <laughs> maybe it's even 2.3. But hey, that's their fault. I'm supposed to be in selling. I show up. Long story short, it was a, it was a mass recruiting for selling cookware door-to-door. And so I went there, and I was ready to go. I had made $900 the previous summer. And that was more money than I'd ever made because I was part of what's called the probation program where all the other minority kids had to come in and clean toilets and clean up cigarette butts. We were janitors for the first summer. It was great. I mean, I learned a lot of lessons and I made 900 bucks and I kept it all in ones. I could just smell it every once in a while. <laughs> you just hold on to the, the, the stack of, of ones. They came out and said, this, the, the franchise owner said he made $9,000 his first summer. That's adding another zero. I'd never heard that before in my life. I'd never thought, what would I do with, with 9,000 of these things? And it was like all that focus I had for basketball just honed in again, except for this profession. And all I said was, and I think I was starving for mentorship. I was starving for that, which is great. I walked up to him and I said, I'll do what you say, when you say to do it, no questions asked. He looks at me and smiled. Now, if you listen to this, imagine a hungry young kid coming up and saying that. I mean, that's like the dream. But that's what I felt. I knew I was coachable. I knew what hard work was. They just tell me what to do, I'll do it. And I did. And I was the last guy to make a sale because my mom was out of town. And I finally made that sale. And it came through. And I swear there was something that just went through me saying, okay, this is what it feels like to actually work hard for something and have it pay off. And it wasn't about money. It had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with the chart. Who was first? Who was last? And I didn't want to be last. What was the award? I remember they held a 50, they stack of $50. I mean, I think maybe 100. I said, whoever does the most presentations gets this. And I said, I'm getting that 100 bucks. And it just, it was 100 bucks. But it was about the competitive side, about seeing what I'm capable of, putting myself to the test, and working as hard as I could on a plan for the reward 
as we know now, the dopamine, right? But the dopamine was gone after that because I wanted the next one. Anyways, 79 kids quit. I stay, become number five, United States, Canada, Mexico. And so I'm sitting there at the million dollar party, it's the annual reward trip in New York City. And all I could think about was that basketball, I felt stabbed me in the back, but really basketball trained me. All of the grit, all of the hard work, all of the rejection, all of that trained me to be in this place where I couldn't get cut. Sales would never cut me if I would sell. If I closed a deal, it didn't matter if I was Cuban or minority, it didn't matter if I was black, white, male, female, gay, it didn't matter. You close a deal, you don't get cut. And that to me struck me deep and I knew I was in forever. So that's what this podcast is about. And I've been in this world of selling since I was 18. And that was, man, that was a long time ago. But even more importantly, it's changed. It has changed a lot. But yet some things haven't changed. So we're going to talk about both of those pieces. Now, in the last 20 years, this sales profession has gone through massive changes. A lot through technological advances, changes in consumer behavior, an increased emphasis on data-driven decisions, not just so much emotional, but now people are making more data-driven decisions, which is fascinating. Rise in e-commerce, online marketplaces, all that's transformed how we purchase things, especially how we purchase services. That leads people like us, people like you, if you're selling something, to adopt digital and, I would say, what's the word? Omni-channel, more channels to actually get these things out. I love the word omni because it's like ever-present, omnipresent. The channels that are always available. Now, the other side of it too is neuroscience, psychology, and even brain research has played a huge role in these changes. The more we understand the brain and its processes, my passion, right, neuro, we can then better understand consumer behavior. We can understand their preferences and in, in fact, how they make decisions. You have to understand preferences. It's not, and yes, prospecting, all this stuff, we're going to cover that. It's all part of it, but we got to understand how do we understand who we're selling to. And if you're not in sales, you are in sales. You're selling ideas. This is about influence on a very specific scale, but you're selling ideas and selling is about an idea. So knowledge is being used actually now. And we, we can use knowledge and information design better sales pitches, right? Presentations. We can create more compelling product and service offerings. We can even build stronger relationships with the consumer customers and clients that we work with. A lot of the research finds when we develop these new techniques, like even in a virtual setting, a lot of it being used to, to enhance the sales experience. Instead of just a phone call or we had to drive out and meet with people, which is still great. But being able to have virtual meetings and, and Zoom calls or team meetings to be able to actually see facial expressions, voice, see the nuances, eye contact or lack thereof, all of that makes a huge sense, a huge, huge impact on what's going on. And I want to cover some of those pieces, but I want to cover the science behind it because a lot of you listening know these things, but I want to show you what's actually coming true on the things that you might already know. All of those pieces, I want, to, I want to talk about some of the things that haven't changed, okay? So I want to talk about like 10 of these things because I think there's a lot, but there's probably even more, right? One of them is, is building relationships, establishing and maintaining these positive relationships. So it's so, we hear that so much, but what are you actually doing to build relationships with the people that purchase from you and the people you do business with or refer you business? What are you doing to enhance those relationships? And if you're not using technology, if you're not using a CRM, if you're not taking notes at every call, if you're not reviewing those notes before you meet with people, you're going to be outplayed in this game. People are going to play it better and have better relationships. Now, 
Number two, I'd say is understanding customer needs. This is basic stuff, but the way it's happening is changing. So we have to have deep understanding of these needs. We have to understand their challenges. We have to understand their goals. And the reason, so that we can offer solutions that meet those things and solve those problems. We have to be able to do that. And the only way you do that, it's an age old skill, active listening. We have to be good listeners. We have to be able to sit in front of a client and put away all of our assumptions and truly listen to what they're saying, even listen to what they're not saying. Because a lot of times, People say things without saying them. Body language. We've got to pay attention to like, what their concerns are. If you're really good at reading face, the face is going to tell you all sorts of things. The way their toes are pointed, if their body's leaning in or not, the questions that they ask and the feedback they give you. All of that stuff is critical. And as I go through this list, I want you to think about like, where are you and rate yourself in this. Is this something that you can be better at? But rate yourself. This is something that you know that you can do better. And of course, now notice the first four have nothing to do with the product. We're number five, I'd say, is product knowledge. But the first four are based on emotional intelligence, based on what we call soft skills. Right? They're not soft anymore, but these are the skills that are more human. But you've got to have product knowledge. You've got to have, know the inner workings of your products, the services, and even the features, benefits, and even the limitations, because you're going to be competing against other people that are exploiting your limitations. You better be out in front of that before anybody else is to, to hopefully make that irrelevant or to be able to work around it. You got to be able to, number six, problem solving. You got you to be able to solve problems. And if you're actively listening and, I, and knowing what their needs are, then you can actually solve the actual problem. We got to be able to identify those problems, solve them for both the customer and their own sales process. Why do you have to do that? Because if you ha- enhance their sales process, meaning that's how they make revenue, you enhance their marketing process, their brand, you enhance their communication skills through your product, service, or offering, guess what? They can tie your service and your investment into some sort of revenue. Much easier to measure ROI. Time management is never going to go away. You have to be able to manage your time. Billionaires have the same 24 hours that we do. The top salespeople in your organization have the same 24 hours that you do. And so why is it that they sell more? Well, they still use time, but they just use it differently. You gotta be able to understand time management so that you don't upset your customers, so that you use their time efficiently. My goal has always been that if, they, if, if my clients see my name, they know I'm calling, they know it's going to be a valuable use of time. Valuable use. So you gotta be able to manage multiple tasks, priorities and deadlines, and be able to hit those. Understand just the importance of being on time. As a Cuban, that was never easy. Still a struggle, but hey, you know, I know it's a struggle, but I know it's critical. And then this concept of, of adaptability, right? So what does that mean? If the last few years haven't taught you the need for adaptability, I don't know what else will, right? The, the, the pandemic from moving from in-person to virtual, the, the use of AI right now, right? Hello, if you're not doing AI, if you're not understanding it, and if you're not using it to enhance your process, your ability to communicate, enhancing it, your knowledge base, you're going to be left behind. AI is coming and it's coming with a vengeance. But don't be scared of it. Be fascinated by it. Learn how can it make you better. And so understanding market conditions, the changing consumer needs, all the new technologies, all of this stuff is critical if you're going to be selling. Confidence and resilience. Duh, right? You got to have confidence. You got to be resilient. But these qualities are critical because you're going to encounter rejection. That won't go away. 
you're going to be encountering challenges at your work, people you like, people you don't like. And your confidence is based on your conviction in your what you're selling. So it's, all this begins with a conviction. I remember one of my first sales trainings, they, they wrote the word enthusiasm on the, on the board and they underlined the last four letters, I-A-S-M. And it stood for, I am sold myself. And it was so good to start with a foundational understanding of integrity. Am I even sold on this? Can I have enthusiasm over this product or am I faking it? And guess what? In today's day and age, there is no faking it. And the last one might be the most important, ethical behavior. Being a person that's ethical. Just because you can close someone does not mean you should. Just because you can persuade them to do something does not mean that they should. And so you have to be able to understand their needs and think from career perspective versus transaction perspective. Work to build a career and not make or close a deal. Because if you work to build a career, that person will refer you and come back to you. But if you close a deal you shouldn't have, they will never come back to you and they'll make sure none of their friends do. So that concept is absolutely critical. You, they got to trust you so that you become an assistant buyer. They trust you so you can call for advice. Those things are critical. They're timeless. They're never, ever, ever going to change. And so when you think about those pieces, I want to go into sort of those are the fundamental pieces, but I want to get into, let's say 10 or so skills that also never go away. These are skills that never go away. And then I'm going to go cover some science at the end of it. But these skills aren't going to go away. And the first one is prospecting. You'll never, ever stop prospecting. The, the process of finding, reaching out to potential customers all through the different channels, including social media, email, phone, sales, in person, networking, all those things for the purpose of one purpose, to generate leads. You generate leads. You have to prospect. If you're not prospecting, you're not even in this game. That's not going to go away. Don't Also, don't use... Okay, don't use marketing as a cop-out to prospecting. Don't just post things and hope. Don't send out emails and hope. Pick up the phone. Call people. Do those things. And number two, qualifying those leads. You have to be able to identify the three qualifiers, right? One, do they have a need? If they don't have a need, then what are you doing? Now, maybe they don't perceive they have a need, but your presentation can uncover the need. That's, that's sales professional. They have to have a desire for it. Do they even want it? And the last part, some people have the need and the desire. Like some people want a sports car and they desire it, but maybe they can't afford it. So they're not qualified in a sense of their ability. Those three factors are critical. Now each industry, whether you're mortgage, real estate, finance, whether you're in retail sales, whatever it is, every industry also has some underlying qualifiers like credit score, for example. So are they, can they do that? That would probably fall under ability, right? So you got to be able to qualify prospects. And then of course, building rapport. You got to be able to establish trust, right? These are things that are around actively listening, showing empathy, understanding their needs, your body language, all of that stuff. Needs analysis. What is your needs analysis process? What are the questions that you ask? Have you memorized those questions? Do you have 10 questions, 15 questions? Do you have a process to go through this? Is there a best practices? What are the best salespeople that you're working with? What are they doing? What are the pain points that are typical? And if you start doing an analysis of all the pain points you get, which ones come up over and over and over again? And how do you develop scripting and language to cover those ones that are always coming up? What are their goals so that you can tailor a solution to meet those requirements? Presenting skills. Yes, we're talking about Amplify. That is a lot of this is about presentation. The ability to communicate the idea 
effectively communicate the idea and the value of the service or product or whatever it is that you offer and specifically how it addresses their needs and meets what they want, what it means to them. And if you can include ROI, yes, but measurable, tangible ROI in that piece is critical. Handling objections. Of course, if you aren't ready or what my good friend Tom Ward would say, have a bullet in the chamber for each of your top objections. You gotta be ready, almost like you can't wait for someone to, to ask you this question because you're just ready for it and you believe in it. Maybe you lived that objection for so many years and you were introduced to new information and all of a sudden, now you are ready for it because you understand it. So that ability to anticipate and effectively respond to objections, understand their concerns and respond to their concerns. And if you can address them before they come up, that's the real skill. Number seven, closing the deal. We got to close. That that skill's not going to go away. You got to be able to ask. You got to be able to gain commitment. You got to be able to understand what specific thing are you closing in the sales process because it's not typically just one close. There's many incremental closes that are happening. Those trial closes, those things that get you to the next step in the sales process. Assuming you even know your sales process, do you? I hope. But we got to understand the sales process so you know what you're closing. What's the commitment objective for each step in the sales process? What are you trying to do? you got to be able to ask those great questions. Tell those third-person stories about somebody that had, might have had that same objection. Third-person story is one of the most powerful to handle objections that lead you into the close. Now, once you have the deal, how are you managing the account, the relationship? The process of maintaining and growing that relationship with existing customers because growing existing customers is one of the most powerful ways to grow your business. Providing ongoing support, addressing their needs, identifying opportunities, upselling, cross-selling, on-selling, all of those things that aren't just about getting more money, but they're actually about adding more value. If I could literally show you something you don't know right now, that if you spent another $20, another $2,000 would get you another $10,000, I'd be upset if you didn't tell me. You should be upset with me if I don't tell you those things. And so, of course, we mentioned, I'm just gonna mention it again. You gotta be able to manage time. You gotta be able to manage it because there's so many distractions that are going on right now. That ability to manage your time balance all of those things and still meet your goals on what actually makes you effective and productive because it's about productivity time management you have how are you being productive and here's the big thing busy does not equal productive don't tell me you're busy and you're not producing the results that just means you're busy doing the wrong things period it's are you earning the money you're worth are you achieving the results that you should be achieving and if not you're spending your time wrong period you're busy. It doesn't matter. You're busy doing the wrong things. And by the way, this analysis never goes away. I'm in the process right now of analyzing my busyness and I've got to reassess it. Yeah, we're doing great, but we can do a heck of a lot better. And so maybe I'm spending my time wrong. Now somebody's like, don't be so hard. It's not about being hard. It's about assessing what my needs, my goals are. And is the time that I'm spending taking me to where I need to go? Period. No matter where you are in the, in the process, no matter what you perceive my success to be or not to be. No matter how I perceive it, what are my goals? Where am I going? And lastly, continuous learning. The fact that you're listening to this, you're doing it. This is the process of continual learning, revisiting the old pieces, the fundamentals, and learning some of the new, improving your skills, staying up to date with industry, industry trends, best practices, the new technologies, and always seeking feedback from people internally and externally. You got to be able to continually do that. Seek the feedback. So now, 
when we think about like that feedback and continually doing that and where it comes from, it's the, those pieces are probably some of the hardest to do because it requires sometimes for you to look in the mirror and those pieces, when you look in the mirror, you might not like what you see, but, and here's a big, but even if you don't like what you see, you still have to do it. You still have to do it. And so I want to, I want to go through some of the, the science because the science is where I think we, we can maybe start, I guess, improving, what's the word, validating what we already know. And I'm going to talk specifically about influence, body language. I'm going to talk about your quality of your voice, empathy, and grit. I want to talk about those five things because I believe those five things right now are things that you have immediately control, immediate control over, things that you can learn. It's part of what we talk about. Obviously, we cover it in detail in the book, but there are things that you can use today. So there was a study. Let's talk about influence for a minute. This is an influence of a salesperson behavior on customer trust and attitude. And so this was done by, and I'll put all the notes in here who this was done by. It's all going to be there. But they investigated the effects of a salesperson's behavior on customer trust and attitude. And through survey, they basically surveyed customers and salespeople. And they found that customer trust and positive attitudes were influenced by the salesperson, such as empathy expertise and responsiveness. And so when you think about your ability to have empathy, your ability to show your expertise and how you responded created trust, which led to more sales. Now that shouldn't be a shock to you, okay? (laughs) But it's like we take for granted some of those basic pieces. You've got to be able to understand that influence is about having empathy. It's about being an expert and responding. I mean, let's just say, okay, so increase my empathy. What do I got to do? You should be Googling that. We talk about it in our podcast nonstop. There's plenty of resources out there. And so your expertise, product knowledge, are you good at what you do? How many reps are you getting in? How many mistakes have you made and solved? All of those things. And then being responsive. And so let's talk about body language. And I want to kind of go through because I don't want to dwell on them, but because you're not trying to be researchers here, but I just want to just remind you. This stuff's important. This is the role of body language in sales negotiations. They looked at this and they said they manage the effect of body language on the outcomes of sales negotiations. And we talk about sales negotiations, which you're trying to close a deal. You know, they want a lower price, you want to keep yours, et cetera. So they conducted basically a lab experiment and they took participants and had them engage in sales negotiations while their body language was being recorded. And of course, they don't know this, right? So that's where you get the, you know, the good responses. Results show that positive body language, smiling, nodding, and uh, all of this, just smiling and nodding was associated with higher negotiation outcomes with both buyer and seller. Smiling and nodding, folks. I mean, <laughs> can you, are you so stressed that you can't smile? Do you forget to, you know, mirror and do this? That was one of the first lessons I got. When you ask for sale, you just begin nodding your head. This is age old stuff that's just being proven still now. But smiling and nodding. And I want to keep it simple because I want you to walk away Today, in your next negotiation, the next time you're asking for a deal, getting an application, whatever it is you're doing, and just smile and see what happens. And so the third, we're talking about voice quality. So this is the impact of salesperson's voice quality on customer perceptions and evaluations. Now, they conducted this another lab experiment where they listened to the salesperson's recordings with different voice qualities and rated the perceptions of the salesperson's expertise. They rated their expertise, their likability, and their trustworthiness. Now, first of all, do you think expertise, like likability, and trustworthiness are important? Yes. <laughs> what the results showed were that salespeople, now this shocked me, by the way, with higher pitched 
higher pitched, higher pitched, more animated voices. They were rated more positively by their participants. Now, I, I dug into that because I'm like, okay, I talk about having a rich, deeper voice in more quality. Now, this was one study, but what they were referring to was more enthusiasm. And what they said that enthusiasm, higher pitched, led to more energy, which meant to a more authentic belief and excitement and enthusiasm around the product, which led to more trust because it felt more authentic. Now, if you're too polished and too predictable in your, that doesn't work. We know that. So there is something about being animated, right? And now I might have a, a deeper voice, but if I can get higher and be animated about something, it's still a rich voice, but still it's not over the top, but it might be something I'm excited about. So it's about being dynamic and it's about showing your enthusiasm. And enthusiasm does it come from when that you, within that you actually believe in what you're talking about. Okay, let's keep this really simple. And if you run a sales team, use this stuff. Use it. Go help your salespeople. So another study on empathy in sales encounters. Okay, this is conceptualization, measurement, and impact of sales uh, on salesperson and customer outcome. Okay, now they defined and measured empathy in sales encounters. So there's there's a whole study. This was I can't really say it's Rydenbach and Douglas McKay. Okay, Eric Rydenbach. And Douglas McKay. I'll put all that stuff in the notes. But they had a way of measuring empathy and its impact on the salesperson and customer outcomes. And so with the survey of these salespeople and customers, what they found was that salespeople who scored higher on empathy measures had better customer satisfaction, had better loyalty, and better sales performance. Okay? Empathy leads to better everything when it comes to sales. This is part of some of the changes. Back in the day when sales persuasion techniques first came out, you didn't need it. You just needed technique and you could, in essence, manipulate people to do whatever you wanted. They'd never felt that process. Well, our consumers are much more savvy these days. You, me, we're all more savvy. We see it and smell it a mile away. And so somebody that truly has empathy will walk away from a deal that shouldn't be done. They will walk away from something that shouldn't happen. Even though we might be excited, it might be the right thing to do. And so empathy is critical in that process. And so the last one, I wanna talk about grit. Because here's the thing, it's not going to be easy to be good in sales. And guess what? I'd say it's not easy to not be good either. Because if you're in sales and you're not good at it and you don't have the money, it, life's difficult too. So grit is critical. So in this study, this was the relationship between grit and sales performance. And so grit and sales, just studying grit. And so what they found were they investigated that relationship and they conducted a survey of salespeople and analyzed their grit scores. Now you have to be able to know that you can rate someone's grit. Okay, if we want details, Google it. It's all there. And they looked at the grit scores and they looked at sales performance. And what they found that those people scoring higher on grit, what do you think happened? What do you think happened? Well, of course, they measured incredibly high, much higher, significantly higher on sales performance outcomes. Does that surprise you? I mean, it shouldn't, right? Because that if you think about what and why that would be or why, why that might be, you have to work hard through the rejection. You have to work hard through the self-doubt. You got to work hard through all of the elements that, that are required. Now, by the way, this, works, this happens in leadership. This happens in customer service. It happens in anything. The ability to work through the difficult things. We, we talked about even dopamine and the, the role of suffering in our last episode. You have to understand that that grit is what gets you to go through but grit with empathy to me, what a powerful combination that I can lovingly push through something with you. I'm not going to give up. I love this phrase. I care enough to be unreasonable. 
I love you enough to be unreasonable. That is the combination of grit and empathy. And when you truly care about the customer, you might have to be unreasonable with them. Meaning they know, you know for a fact that this is what they need to be doing and you're not going to give up. And if you do that from a place of love, a place of caring, a place from the heart, they will feel it. They will feel it. Now, can all that be abused? Yes. Don't do it. Period. Just don't do it. And so let's just recap. We have the knowledge that the world has changed, technology, the needs, more data-driven decisions, but yet the fundamentals haven't. So we have to understand how important influence is. You have to understand, and obviously that's what we teach, so look it up, get the book, amplify your influence. Whatever you gotta do, there's a million books out there, you can Google it, you don't need to spend money on me. Obviously we want you to, but don't, you don't need to. Body language, the importance of how you carry yourself, you can change that. You can change that just by being a little bit more aware Practicing your voice, slowing down, eliminating the crutch words, and really getting clear, taking time, and giving yourself permission to just pause. Growing your empathy. If you struggle in that, if you need therapy, go get it. We all need therapy from time to time. But go, whatever you gotta do, get trained on being more empathetic in this world. One, we all need it. It'll make you a better person. Your family will love you more. You'll have more impact. It just, it just, it's a great thing. Empathy is amazing. The lack of it just makes you hardly tolerable. <laughs> it might make you successful in certain things. You know, if you're in finance, that stuff, great. I'm not saying become overly emotional, by the way, because that's not good either. But grit. If you don't have it, figure it out. Put yourself in situations. If you don't like cold pledges, I hate cold pledges. I don't, I don't do them, so I'm not advocating that. But maybe that's your way to develop grit. I got grit through other ways. Basketball, failure in un, unmeasurable, immeasurable amounts of ways. But you know what? I've been saying, well, maybe because I hate pull plunges, maybe I'll do them. I'm not going to talk about them because I don't do them. But there are more, than, more, more ways than that to accomplish that process. But develop your grit. Get out there and sell. Get out there and tell the world what you believe. Do it boldly. And do it without apology. Do it from a place of integrity and empathy. Manage your body language and grow your influence. All of that stuff is there. So as we conclude, thank you so much for giving us your attention today. And if you liked it, please subscribe. Make sure you share it. This is on YouTube as well as going to be on podcast, uh, Spotify and iTunes, Apple to Apple Music or whatever it is. All of the, basically anywhere. <laughs> Go to meetrene.com. All of our links are there. Subscribe to our newsletter. Get the book. If you want to learn about Amplify, send us a message. We'd love to have you there. We've got some really cool things coming in 2023. We're going to be launching a mastermind and even bringing back AmpCon event. So we look forward to hearing from you. I wish you the best out there. Thanks for tuning in.